just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. You'll recall in the last podcast, yesterday, I was talking about uh, my wife and I coming back from Phoenix to Minneapolis and how big a hassle it was with our flights. Now, my wife and I were on standby because she works for an airline. The trips are free, thankfully. But that also means if the planes get filled up, then we get bumped to the next plane. We all understand that. It's never happened before until we were flying back from uh, Phoenix on Sunday. But what are you going to do? You can't really bitch because you got a free flight. So we were supposed to leave at 6.20 p.m. The flight was full. We got bumped. We were going to go on the next one, probably about 8.15 or so. But we got bumped from that one, too. And we thought, well, what are we going to do? I mean, we were under no real constraints. We didn't have to be back at any specific time. So there was no pressure with regards to that. So there was one last flight going out for the night. It was the Red Eye, and it left at 11.59 p.m., which would bring us into Minneapolis probably about 5, 5.15, which sucks because you got to sleep in the airport, sleep on the plane, get home early, and try to get everything back to normal. And that was the tough part. Now, the whole process was a big hassle. But as I say, given the circumstances, neither my wife or I could really bitch about it. She works for the airlines. She doesn't really need the money. The whole point of her working for the airlines is to give us some flexibility if we want to fly out of town someplace. And it's done wonders for us in that regard. The one sticking point is you might get bumped from a flight. Now, I learned something that weekend, this past weekend, as to why we had this problem. You know, because we've taken other flights, never got bumped off a flight before. But why it happened this weekend. And what I came to realize is this is spring break season. This was a Sunday. People are wrapping up their week break or whatever they took off. And now they got to get back to work. They're holding it off till the last minute. They get on the planes and they stack up. In addition to that, there were a couple of other airlines that... uh, canceled flights. So they had people that wanted to get back to Minneapolis who went from those canceled flights to the flight on the airline I was on. Now they would take precedence over us. And here's why. Because my wife works for the airlines and we are standby, we essentially don't pay anything for the flight. That's part of the perk of working for the airline. So if anybody comes through and pays any more than we did, and that would be everybody, uh, they take precedence. They are the priority over us. Now, that seems fair, and uh, that's exactly what happened. We weren't really upset by it. We were just, you know, dealing with it. We were under no time constraints, as I mentioned. But it turns out we weren't the only ones that ran into this problem. Turns out the illustrious Senator Ted Cruz also ran into this problem, but he handled it much differently. Now, 
I don't know if he pays for flights or gets free flights because he's a U.S. senator. I don't know about that. But for whatever reason, over the weekend, he was in Bozeman, Montana. I suppose that he was maybe personally picking up his custom-made ashless chaps. (laughs) You know, Mr. Cowboy Ted Cruz. Now, I mentioned that on TikTok, and this is funny. I said he was going to get his custom-made assless chaps. It's a joke. (laughs) Never owned chaps in my life. But I know what they look like. A lot of people said, ha-ha, great, that's funny. Ted Cruz is an asshole, and all of that is true. But there were a number of people that came on my post and said, all chaps are assless. (laughs) I mean, they were kind of upset about it. There was probably 10 or 12 people that commented, all chaps are assless. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true, because they fit over your pants, and they're just basically protecting your legs. (laughs) But these people were pretty indignant about it, that I had the audacity to say what I did, when in fact, they all are assless. (laughs) And I wanted to say something back, man, it's just a fucking joke. I took some comedic license. I know what chaps looks like, but if I just said chaps, it wouldn't be as funny as assless chaps when you picture Ted Cruz. Now, I don't know if these people just don't have a sense of humor, take great joy in trying to prove somebody wrong or whatever. But the bottom line, it was a fucking joke. I know what chaps look like. I just thought it was funny. Now, if you don't get it, don't have a sense of humor or whatever, that's okay. But don't try to correct me on something I already know the fucking answer to. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't the chaps. Anyway, (laughs) I digress, as some TikTokers tend to say. Anyway, he got to the airport late with his assless chaps. He wasn't wearing them, thankfully. And and, uh, he got there late, and he missed his plane, which I hear a lot of stories about. There are a lot of people from my wife's stories as a customer service person for the airline. People will show up 10 minutes before their flight thinking they're going to get on. But there's a few problems with that, you understand. I mean, first of all, if you're checking luggage, from the time you check luggage to the time it gets to the plane is probably about 40 minutes. If you check in 15 minutes ahead of the flight, well, then it's not going to get to the plane, and that's not going to do you any good. Secondly, depending on what the line is at the desk, that adds time. And then you have to consider what the line looks like at TSA. If there's not much of a line, you can get through. But if there is a line, you could be there for another 45 minutes. And then when you get there, they pretty much close everything down at the gate for that flight 45 minutes ahead of the flight. They're loading it, and once they get it loaded, it's closed. And no matter how quickly you got there, once it's closed, you don't get on. So this is a pretty precise situation. You either are there or you're not. And uh, people want to get there at the last minute and don't understand why they can't get on. And that's probably what we were looking at with Ted Cruz. When they tell you, get to the airport two hours ahead of time for domestic flights and three hours ahead of time for international flights, fucking do it. Because you don't know what you're walking into. And whether you're going to be indignant about it or not, you're going to miss the flight. So just do what you're supposed to do. 
get there two hours or three hours ahead of time. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to sit bored at the gate. But that's a hell of a lot better than missing the flight. I'm telling you this as a public service because I hear it from my wife all the time, all the things she sees going on there and how people just lose their shit because they fucked up. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it does tie into what I'm going to talk about with Ted Cruz. Now, Ted gets up there and says, I want to get on my flight. And, of course, he's late. There's no way he's going to get to the uh, gate by the time he needs to leave and by the time everything gets shut down. So what does Ted Cruz do? Well, he starts losing his shit. He gets upset about it. He's trying to get on another flight, and that's not going to work either. So now he's angry. And why is he angry? Well, first of all, he's a U.S. senator. He's special. He's Ted Cruz. He's angry. He's mad about it. But more importantly, he's got to get back to the uh, confirmation hearing with Katanji Brown-Jackson. He's scheduled to be there, and that's a great time to expose his intelligence, his immenseness. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll talk about that in a moment. So he's very upset. Now, he gets so upset that the police get called. Yeah, the police come and they are arguing back and forth. Now, how smart is that? A U.S. senator arguing with a police officer in an airport. This is not the place to do it. There's tons of phones, tons of video footage, and there is video footage of this. Well, somehow, someway, he did get on a later flight, and he got back to Washington, D.C. But this is what I'm talking about. Ted Cruz and a lot of people who go to airports are fucking entitled. They think they're special. They think they should be able to break rules and do whatever they want. That the only time they have to consider is their own time. And if anything makes them late, well, that was important, and that was me, so I get to go around the rules. And unfortunately, when you're in the airport, nobody gets to go around the rules, including 10 fucking crews. A U.S. senator standing in an, uh, an airport trying to get back home to do his job. He's in Bozeman, Montana, for God knows what. And uh, he cuts it so close that he almost doesn't make it back to do his job. That's so typical Ted Cruz. Fortunately for him, and unfortunately for us, he wasn't arrested and taken into jail. I think they probably thought arresting a U.S. senator might be a little problematic, and I think they're right. (laughs) But Ted lost his shit. He lost his shit, and it's on video. And once again, Ted Cruz fucks himself over. Now us, on the other hand... We just sat there quietly trying to sleep or trying to grab something to eat or whatever. We knew what we did. We knew what we were in for, and we just dealt with it. And at some point in our lives, we have to admit, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We're not special, so we don't expect special treatment. We just deal with what we have to deal with. All right. Now let's get down to the shit going on in this country and across the world. So, you know, I've said that Russia, whenever I do a post, I talk about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I will frequently say that Russia is losing this war. (laughs) And just like the assless, assless chaps, somebody wants to correct me. 
I'm fine with being corrected, especially if I'm actually wrong. And there are many cases I am wrong, and I will own up to it immediately. Anyway, I will say Russia is losing this war, and inevitably, somebody will jump onto my post and make a comment. No, they're not. Russia's not losing. Have you seen all those towns that were leveled, all those buildings that were destroyed, all the destruction? Russia's winning this war. (laughs) And then I have to sit back, and I could explain it to every one of these clowns that— comes on my post, but I decide not to. I'm not going to engage in any arguments on TikTok. That's just asking for trouble. If they seem to be Trump humpers looking for trouble, then they get blocked. But I can talk about it on the podcast. And I'll explain for those people who can't see the forest for the trees, I'll slow it down and I'll tell you why Russia is losing and why Russia will lose the war. When Vladimir Putin put 200,000 troops at the Ukrainian border. The last thing on his mind was to invade Ukraine. He knew that would be a problem. He knew he could not come out of that looking good. But what he was doing is a typical bully move. He parked these people in front of the, uh, the border. He was trying to be intimidating. He was trying to terrify them. He was trying to bully them into submission. So they said, oh, my God, that's an ominous army there. We'll just give up, and you can come in and do anything you want. That's what they really thought was going to happen. They didn't think they'd have to fight, and that's typical of a bully attitude. Most bullies don't want the fight. Most bullies are afraid of the fight. They instead use intimidation and hope that that will help them avoid the fight, that they will scare the other party into submission, like what Putin was trying to do here with Ukraine and Zelensky. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Vladimir Putin and the Russians, President Zelensky and the Ukrainians did not back down. No, they said, fuck you. Bring it, bitch. That's basically what they said. So now Russia was caught in a bad situation. Somebody called their bluff. So now... Vladimir Putin and the Russians have to amp up this bullying tactic. And they said, okay, we're coming in. And the very moment they stepped into Ukraine, that was the first sign of Russia losing. See, their strategy was scuttled because nobody bought the bluff. Now he was doing exactly what he didn't want to do, but he's too proud, too big an ego to step back, and he has to push forward. And that continues to be the case throughout the war up until today. Now, when this war went longer than three days, that's when Russia was losing too. You see, his military experts told him, we'll get in there, we'll get out, it'll be like 72 hours, and uh, it won't be a problem. But again, they didn't take into consideration the resolve of the Ukrainians and the courage of President Zelensky. In spite of the fact we were led to believe that Russia was this ominous military power, they come into Ukraine and Ukraine says, fuck you, we're going to fight you. And surprise of all surprises, Ukraine is doing pretty well about it. Yes, Russia is destroying towns and buildings and crazy shit like that and now attacking civilians. But Ukraine is holding them off. 
this ominous power is being held back, and nobody understands why. Well, it has a lot to do with the fact that Russia isn't as tough as they seem. Their military isn't quite as organized or trained as they would like you to believe. And so, while this is going on, now Russia all of a sudden loses hundreds of planes, helicopters, and uh, tanks, not to mention thousands of troops. Now, I've heard different numbers on the amount of troops that they lost. Some people, well, on the Russian side, they'll say, oh, we lost 2,000 people. On the Ukrainian side, they'll say it's been ten or 12,000 people. Now, chances are it's somewhere in between. But the fact of the matter is they're losing a lot of military equipment and a lot of personnel. And at that point, Russia is losing. Remember, they expected to go in there and whip things up pretty quickly and wrap it up. But they're not. And they're losing military equipment and and personnel. Now, in addition, you know, we talk, we hear about the planes and how they want planes from other countries, and we should provide them, but they haven't gotten them yet. That isn't to say that uh, Ukraine doesn't have an air force. They do. But it seems like they almost have one man air force, and he's known as the Ghost of Kiev. Now, isn't that mysterious? It's kind of a great storyline. I can see this being a movie sometime later down the line when this is all over with. But the ghost of Kiev or Kiev is a um, is a fighter pilot and he's pretty pretty productive as they say. Like one of the first days of the war, this ghost of Kiev went and shot down six Russian airplanes in one day. One fucking day. This ominous power, the Russian military, is getting taken to task by one fighter pilot from Kiev, or from Ukraine. Well, now the new figures are in about what he's done since that time, and they're saying that he shot down as many as 35 Russian planes. Not to mention all the uh, Stinger missiles and those sorts of things, taking down planes and helicopters. Russia's taken a very big hit in this whole situation. I mean, they're getting beat up pretty bad. Now, when Russia was unable to take a major city in the first three to four weeks of this battle, that too is a loss for Russia. Again, this was all supposed to happen very quickly. First, he thought they'd intimidate him, and then when they went in, they'd just roll over the top of them. They haven't done that. They haven't yet secured any major city in Ukraine. Uh, They aren't controlling the air over Ukraine either, which seems weird since there isn't much uh, with the Ukraine Air Force, but we do have the ghost of Kiev. And we do have the uh, missiles on the ground that are taking down um, planes and helicopters. So they're still having trouble with that. And the fact that they weren't able to do those things tells us they're losing. Now, of course, the last thing is they're running out of supplies very quickly. This army has been on the field going on a month now. They're tired. They're beat up. They're shot up. They've lost thousands of troops. The morale is horrible. 
And uh, they're only days away of ending their functionality as a uh, military. Now, of course, this upsets and angers Vladimir Putin. He thinks he's going to roll over these people. But now he's down to the last strokes here, uh, being able to keep this military moving. And uh, he's having a problem. You know, he's begging them to... uh, uh, to surrender, and he's making threats and all this kind of stuff. And so he's in, in a tough spot. Now, I look and make a comparison here, and this comparison seems to fit. We've got the Russian military, who is looking very much like the Trump administration for the four years they were in office. They are utter and complete failures. Both were the administration of Trump and the military of Russia. This is going to be hard for Vladimir Putin to accept. The one thing he was was a strong man. He could intimidate people. Now he goes into Ukraine and it's not going so good because these people are not intimidated. So the fight goes on, but it's going to be interesting to see how long it does go. And what happens when Vladimir Putin runs out of supplies? His men and women are surrendering, and the morale is shot, and they lose more and more military equipment and more and more troops. What's he going to do? Well, the fact of the matter is, Vladimir Putin is never going to throw up his hands and say, I give up. He's not. He'd rather burn every bridge, scorch every road, and do whatever he has to do before he will admit he was wrong or that he lost. So what he's doing instead, he's going after civilians. He's doing very um, horrific things, atrocities, if you will. He's killing women and children, sending missiles into churches and kindergartens and hospitals and those sorts of things. But you see what he's doing here is he's still trying the intimidation strategy. They haven't been intimidated up to this point, so they're going after the civilians. They're essentially doing to Ukraine the same thing that the rest of the world is doing to Russia with all the sanctions and stuff. Now, the sanctions may not directly affect Vladimir Putin, but as long as it's affecting their military, the government, and the citizens of of Russia, they're hoping against hope that those people will put pressure on Vladimir Putin or take him out. So you see, Russia's taking a page out of the Ukraine strategy. Now they're going after the citizens with hopes that the citizens will pressure Zelensky into giving up. It's a pretty desperate tr- strategy for uh, for Russia, and it's not going to work. I got to tell you, when I look at the videos and I hear some of these Ukrainian people talk about Russia and talk about fighting, these people are badass. They ain't fucking around. They ain't scared. And, <clears throat> well, there's probably some people that are scared, of course, but the people that are willing to fight, they are absolutely convinced that they can beat Russia. And on the day that Russia was coming into the country, there was a lot of people thought that this will be kind of a gimme for Russia. It was going to be no thing. But Ukraine really surprised us. President Zelensky 
surprised us by a great deal. And it's very, as sad as this whole war is, it's encouraging that David might beat Goliath. I mean, certainly Ukraine is a smaller country, less powerful country, and all that sort of things. But they're still standing up. They had no chance at all, but they stood up and fought back and look. They're doing something. They're holding them off. And that's very typical of bullies. You know, when you have a bully, they will try to intimidate you, and hopefully you'll fold up and be a shrinking flower or whatever. But when you usually fight back with a bully, they aren't nearly as tough as you imagined. And very often, if you beat these bullies, they just run away. But the fact of the matter is, is that they are dirty fighters. So you have to be sure that you put them down and keep them down because they'll keep coming. They're not going to give up until they win because of their egos. They just can't. So we're hearing about all kinds of meetings. We know that Biden's going to Brussels to talk to NATO, and then he's going to talk to the G7. And they're no doubt going to strategize some things in order to uh, help Ukraine in this battle. Whether they'll be able to come up with something or not, I don't know. But there's been a couple of things said by Vladimir Putin that might change everything if he follows through with it. He's saying that he's not taking out of the realm a possibility of using nuclear weapons, meaning he's thinking about sending nuclear weapons into Ukraine. That's a whole different situation when it comes to NATO. You lob a nuclear weapon into Ukraine, then you've got Poland and Moldova and other places that are ultimately going to be impacted by that. Then the NATO nations all get together and we have World War III. Now, the other thing that Vladimir Putin has been talking about, he's done it before, and it won't be surprising if he does it again. We're talking about chemical weapons. He's used them before. He will use them again. And again, that's going to set a different precedence in this situation. Then NATO's going to have to say, what the fuck? We need to do something about this. Because with chemical weapons, depending on which way the wind blows, it could have a significant effect on a NATO nation. In fact, it could have an effect if the wind's blowing the right way on Russia itself. I don't honestly believe that they're going to resort to nuclear weapons. Not so sure about chemical weapons. But I think... uh, To everybody in this world, nuclear weapons are sacrosanct, and uh, once somebody does it, then all hell breaks loose, and who knows what we're going to be left with. So we'll be watching this Ukraine-Russia war, but uh, Russia doesn't have much time left. They don't have enough resources. The people have lost all confidence in their military, and they're in trouble. As much damage as they're doing to this country— The overall feel with the people in the Russian military is not good. They don't know why they're there. They're scared in their own right. They're not as well-trained and well-oiled as we expected. And they know this. You know, they're sitting in convoys for days and weeks, not even moving because they don't have gas or food or whatever. So it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. Vladimir Putin cannot win this one. He can't win the war, and if he doesn't win the war, and he's already in a bad situation in that they're going to probably haul his ass out of there like they do with authoritarian leaders from time to time. 
They see what it's doing to their country, and they want it to stop. It hurts too bad. And they all know the only way to do that is to get Vladimir Putin out. We can want to go after Vladimir Putin, take him out of the equation, but not nearly as bad as those people in Russia. And we have to keep our fingers crossed and hope that's what they do. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, the other big story in the news over the last few days is the confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown-Jackson. She is the Supreme Court justice nomination by Joe Biden. Now, what I got to tell you about um, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she is literally the most qualified candidate of any Supreme Court justice in recent times. I mean, she's done it all. She's been at every level in the courts as a judge. Now, in most cases, people that end up on the Supreme Court are prosecutors when they were lawyers. That's not the case with Katanji Brown-Jackson. She was a federal public defendant, meaning she advocated for criminals or alleged criminals that were coming through the federal courts. And when they couldn't afford to have a lawyer, then uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson was one of the folks that uh, advocated for them. Now, a lot of people look down their nose at something like that. But Katanji Brown-Jackson has every box checked you could possibly check when it comes to experience going into the Supreme Court. Now, in spite of that, of course, the Republicans are doing everything they can to undermine and discredit her. Um, And it's not going well. Frankly, it's not going well at all. Everything that um, Russia, or Russia, (laughs) I keep mixing up Russia and Republicans, but uh, it's maybe not that far a leap as we're seeing these days. But anyway, Republicans are trying to undermine her. And I don't know why they're bothering. She's going to get confirmed. There's no question about it. However, uh, Joe Manchin has been kind of problematic in this entire thing as well. But um, the fact of the matter is Republicans will lie. They will uh, be deceitful. They will make shit up. Then they'll twist shit to fit their deceitful narrative. They're trying to come up with ways of uh, making her look bad. And it's not going well, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, when I watch these people talk to Katanji Brown-Jackson, she is quite competent. She's a brilliant jurist. She's smarter than all those fucking fake lawyer senators out there. But they're still trying to match wits with her, and it's... Well, it's not going very well. Anyway, I have this fantasy. (laughs) When one of the senators, like Josh Hawley, let's say Josh Hawley, um, he says, uh, well, Ms. Jackson, what about critical race theory or whatever the fuck he's saying? I have this fantasy that Katanji Brown Jackson looks at him and says, that's the Honorable Judge Jackson, if you're nasty. (laughs) Now, you've got to be old like me to understand that reference. And if you don't get the reference, Google, my name is Janet. Miss Jackson, if you're, se- if you're nasty. 
<laughs> Most of you folks get it, though, and it's not that funny. But, you know, I have to throw it out there. I have to throw some shit in. The funny thing is, Josh Holly was trying to suggest that Katanji Brown Jackson was soft on sentencing people convicted of child porn. Well, that's absolute bullshit. That's not true. And Katanji Brown uh, Jackson pointed out where they were wrong and made them look foolish in the process. But I find it interesting that these people are so appalled by child porn. I mean, they elected Donald Trump as president, a guy that claimed to be sexually attracted to his daughter when she was underage, to be um, uh, a guy who was best friends, best friends with Jeffrey Epstein, probably the most prolific child abuser in the history of this country. Now, he was president, former President Trump was also a co-defendant with said Jeffrey Epstein in a lawsuit regarding the rape of a 13-year-old girl. Now, they're appalled by uh, sex abuse with children. They're appalled by child porn, but they love Donald Trump, even though he's got a a track record being a fucking piece of filth. In addition to that, since 2019, I think there's been six members of the GOP, either on a state or a federal level, that have been convicted of sexual crimes involving an underage minor. And that's not even to mention Matt Gates and some of those other people that are coming to fruition sometime soon. These are people that were actually indicted, tried, and convicted, at least six of them in four years, all members of the GOP who have been convicted of child sex crimes. But they want to come at Katanji Brown Jackson and suggest she's soft on child porn. <laughs> Please, motherfucker. You've got to be kidding I mean, this is what they do. They make shit up. They try to spin it, divert it, distract, do whatever they have to do. They'll make shit up in order to try to contend or deal with their agenda. Now, after two days of the Supreme Court confirmation hearing, um, it's been quite a show, actually. Republicans are doing anything they can to try to discredit Katanji Brown Jackson, they're asking your crazy shit. They are asking about critical race theories in schools. They brought up the fact that she was on the board of this school uh, who allegedly was teaching something similar to critical race theory. They're going over and over about it. And uh, she pointed out, well, first of all, that's not what's going on. Second of all, this is a private school, has nothing to do with public schools. Now, they knew that. They fucking knew that. But they thought this was the only way they could present this questioning to uh, Miss Jackson. And that's what they're doing. That shows how fucking desperate they are. They also wanted to approach her on abortion and pro-lifers. Now, Marsha Blackman, a Republican um, senator who is a piece of shit, who is very much a problem and should not be in 
in any elected office. She was talking about abortion and how Miss Jackson wrote some finding about uh, pro-lifers, and it was talking about how pro-lifers were in your face and sometimes violent, which, as we all know, is a fucking fact. But the fact is, she didn't write that. She didn't say that. She was part of a, uh, uh, a defense of somebody who uh, was, was uh, making those comments in their statement. Now, she is just a public defender, and those are in the court information, but those weren't things she said or thought or believed. I mean, the one thing you get out of Katanji Brown-Jackson, she's exactly what you'd want as a judge. She doesn't think about partisanship. She doesn't think about her personal beliefs. She tries to be subjective about it and go by the law. And that's a crazy concept, isn't it? That we would have a Supreme Court who doesn't look at personal opinions, who doesn't look at um, partisan issues, and vote that way just because it's beneficial to the group they happen to be attached to. And I'm talking about Democrats or Republicans. Shouldn't it be just about the law? The law says this. We decide that because of the law, and that is fucking it. But that's not the way it is, of course. We've got Clarence Thomas, whose wife is a nutcase, treasonist, terrorist, um, just a nutcase. And you know that he sides with her because he refuses to recuse himself in those situations where she or somebody she's connected to would be involved. He wants to be part of the Supreme Court finding, which is a conflict of conflict of interest, for sure. If there's ever a time that a judge should recuse himself is in those situations, but he refuses to do that. Now, these senators with law degrees were no match for Katanji Jackson Brown. Again, I'll tell you this, and I'm not saying this because she's liberal or Democrat or whatever, but she is absolutely brilliant. She's done a lot of things. She was a clerk for Supreme Court Justice Breyer, who is the man that retired, and she wants to take his position. The likelihood of something like that happening is pretty minuscule. So for her to be in this situation to replace the man that she was a clerk for is absolutely amazing. And that's the fact of the matter with Katanji Jackson-Brown. She is an amazing woman. If you don't know about her, you should read up on her because she's brilliant She's measured, she's not emotional, and she's very knowledgeable about the law, which makes her a perfect candidate for being on the Supreme Court. Now, what was interesting, you had all these Republican asking stupid fucking crazy ass questions constantly. Now, the senator running this hearing is Democratic Senator Dick Durbin. Now, what's funny is Dick Durbin can clarify things, like there were situations um, when somebody made a comment and it was kind of half-truth, it wasn't real. So then Dick Durbin was able to set aside a few moments to explain what really happened. It wasn't what the Republicans said, it was something different. It had similar components, but it wasn't 
as damning as the Republicans were trying to make it out. It wasn't damning at all. But the thing about it is, with all this crazy shit going on, you would think Dick Durbin, the guy running this hearing, would be interrupting and trying to stop it and trying to squash all the ridiculous conspiracy theories or or the lies or half-truths or whatever, but he's not. He's really not interrupting as much as he could. And some people are troubled by that. Why isn't Dick Durbin doing his job? And I have a contention about this, and I think Dick Durbin understands that like with Donald Trump, you just let these people talk. Because, you know, the more they talk, the more they damage themselves, the more they expose who they truly are. And as much as this is about getting a new Supreme Court justice, it's also about exposing these people with consideration to the November midterm elections. I've said it before, what we really need to do is expose who these people are and attach them to the Russians, attach them to some of the other situation, the insurrectionist, whatever. This all needs to come out. This needs to be exposed between now and November so that when people go to the ballot booths, they know exactly who they're voting for. Now, they might be Republican. They wouldn't necessarily vote for Democrats. But when they know that these people are insurrectionists, they're racist, they're misogynist, they're prejudiced in every possible way, they're going to have to think twice about who they vote for or if they vote at all. And this is all part and parcel to trying to win the midterms. I mean, that's what we have to understand about politics. It's all a fucking game. It's all about perception. It's all about lying. It's all about telling the truth. It's all about debating issues that don't even need to be debated. These are fucking ridiculous. But when I watched this with Katanji Brown Jackson, there were a lot of points in the questioning where she nailed them back. you got to remember, she's a brilliant lawyer. We've got a lot of lawyers in the Senate, but none of them really practice much or were involved in any trial cases of those sorts of things. They are lawyers by degree, not by experience. And when Katanji Brown Jackson sits with them and they ask a stupid question and then she answers him and buries them, all they do is sit and stare like deer in the headlights. <laughs> it's absolutely masterful when you watch Miss Jackson. She doesn't get riled or ruffled about anything. She sits very calmly, she listens, and then she answers, and then boom. These Republican senators look like the fucking buffoons they are. She will get confirmed. I'm convinced of that. There is no way they can't confirm her. The fact that she's a woman or black has nothing to do with it. All you have to do is look at her track record, and you can see she is immensely qualified to be on the Supreme Court, and she will be on the Supreme Court. I'm only waiting to hear what was what is going on with Clarence Thomas. They said he had flu-like uh, flu-like symptoms, and he went into the hospital on Friday. Well, now it's Wednesday. I haven't heard that he's gotten out. 
it sounded like they said, well, it's just flu. He's taking antibiotics. Things are going well, and he'll be out soon and ready to do whatever he's going to do. In fact, some of the things and decisions he'll make will be through Zoom or through uh, transcripts or whatever. Now, we haven't heard much about it in the last day or so. Now, I'm not hoping that he's deathly ill and he dies. At least I would never say that in public because that, that's mean. <laughs> but wouldn't it be ironic if we had to replace yet another Supreme Court justice at some time in the not-so-distant future, and then we would get closer to evening things out? Right now, we're at six against three. Six conservatives, three liberals. There's not enough for the liberals to win anything if the Republicans don't want them to. Somehow we've got to even this out a little bit. Now, should something happen to Clarence Thomas and they put in another liberal justice, now we're at 5-4. Things are getting a little better. And then Chief Justice Roberts, who tends to be the mediator and tends to sometimes go with Democrats on occasion, mostly goes with the Republicans, it would make it a much fairer situation in the Supreme Court. Right now it's not. They want you to believe that it's not partisan, but the fact of the matter is it's very partisan and always has been very partisan. So you you, you probably heard about this on the news yesterday, it seems there's a very large, amazingly luxurious yacht docked in Italy. Now, this thing they're saying could cost $750 million. That's what it's worth. I mean, this fucking thing's got two helipads on it, too. Why would you need two helipads on one fucking boat? Seems crazy. But the uh, attitude about this is that uh, they're thinking that Vladimir Putin owns it. And now there is no registration that shows up that says Vladimir Putin or anybody he's connected to owns that. But that's what Vladimir Putin would do. He wouldn't say, yeah, I own that, put his name on everything. I mean, to be perfectly honest with everything that Vladimir Putin has. And and make no mistake, there are people that think he's the richest man in the world. And that's conceivable. He's got 22 years as president of Russia. And all 22 years, he's been robbing Russia of millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, probably into the billions. He is certainly a billionaire, and he may be the richest billionaire that we know in this world. And that's saying some things. We've got some pretty wealthy billionaires that have hundreds of billions of dollars. And if Vladimir Putin has more than that, that is fucking crazy. Anyway, we've got this ship in Italy. And the ship is huge. It's amazing. It's hugely valuable. And they think it's Vladimir Putin's boat. Well, what makes them think that? Well, it turns out there's a list of employees on that boat. They've got the names and all the information from those people that work on the boat. The funny thing about it is, is that those employees also show up on another list of employees to Vladimir Putin, and they are essentially the equivalent of the Secret Service for Vladimir Putin. 
So it's reasonable to think that if the employees that work for Vladimir Putin are also the employees on the boat, well, then maybe it's his boat. And if it's his boat, I say grab that motherfucker and teach him a goddamn lesson. We've got a boat worth three quarters of a billion dollars, and it's got Vladimir Putin's name all over it. We need to swoop that thing up and watch Vladimir Putin get pissed off. This is about impacting Vladimir Putin. Make no mistake, he is the reason why there is a war in Ukraine. Without Vladimir Putin, there is no war. Everybody lives a peaceful life. Everybody goes about their day like they always did. Vladimir Putin steps in. Now we've got death and destruction in Ukraine. Now, these sanctions impact people around him and, of course, the citizens of Russia. But he's got a lot of money stocked away someplace. Not until the time that these people get tired of it will Vladimir Putin pay any kind of price. So if this is, in fact, his boat, we need to grab it just to see what the fuck he does. And the fact of the matter is when you seize something, it's not like you hold on to it until you get what you want and then you release it again. Once it's seized, it's fucking seized. They should sell the goddamn thing and give the money to Ukraine to fight against Russia. That would be the rightful thing to do. And it would be ironic that Vladimir Putin's people in his military were fighting against things paid for by Vladimir Putin's fucking boat. There's a lot of things that are going on. Joe Biden, I think I mentioned he's going to Brussels to meet with NATO, and then he's going to meet with G7. Not sure what's going on with that, what good that's going to do, or what they're going to figure out. There are some European countries going to Ukraine to meet with Zelensky. Now, this is interesting. you got to wonder what's going to happen if they go to Ukraine to meet with Zelensky, and just by dumb luck, Vladimir Putin's military bombs the building that they're in and kills leaders from other European countries. That's got to change things pretty quickly. That's got to make people upset and make NATO think about the prospect of uh, saying, fuck this, we're going to war. And this is the one thing that everybody's been kind of concerned about and upset about, the prospect of going to nuclear war. I don't honestly believe that will happen. People are under the uh, delusion that Vladimir Putin's sitting at a big desk with a bunch of buttons and all he has to do is press them and the nuclear warheads start to fly. That's not true. There's a process for Russia and America. No president can press the button and make it go. Some of this can be... um, overruled by a series of military people. It's got to go through a lot of channels. It's not something that happens instantaneously. And to be perfectly honest, if Vladimir Putin is that point where he's going to hit a nuclear weapon button, or at least start the process, there are going to be people that are nervous. Because any sane mind knows that if there is a nuclear war, there isn't going to be much left afterwards. As much as your ego wants to fight, the fact of the matter is if you destroy the world and kill hundreds of millions of people, none of it fucking matters. Your ego isn't worth that much. Now, we've heard that that Vladimir Putin has sent uh, sent his family away from Russia. 
I don't know where they sent them to, Switzerland or someplace like that. Who knows? They've got all kinds of property in all parts of the world. But it doesn't matter where he sends his family. If he really has the intention of going to nuclear war, nobody's safe. It's a dumb thing to do. It's like committing suicide. Now Vladimir Putin might be at a point when he's losing in Ukraine where maybe he doesn't give a shit. You have to believe he cares about his family or friends, but maybe not. But again, before anything like that can be done, there are other people involved, other channels you have to go through to ultimately get that nuclear weapon button pushed. So the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. Yes, Vladimir Putin is threatening, but that's what he's been doing since the moment he put the troops on the Ukrainian border. He's been threatening, and he's been threatening, and he's been called on his bluff every time, and he's been losing every time. You have to think at some point he learns a lesson that you want to go nuclear? Okay, well then let's just wrap everything up because That's going to be it for the world. Russia and America start lobbying nuclear weapons. There's going to be nothing left. So it's kind of fucking pointless. I don't think he'll go to that level. I think he may go to the chemical warfare in Ukraine, and that is going to piss off a lot of people and might drive this to a new level. Or it might cause the people in the military or the government or the citizens of Russia to finally say, all right, fucking enough is enough we got to take this some bitch out. And that's what I presume will ultimately happen. We aren't going to go to a nuclear war with this. I know there's a lot of people worried about it, but don't. We're not going to a nuclear war. There's going to be a lot of destruction and death, as we've already seen. But uh, we're not going to end the world at this point. That's not going to happen. So, Don't worry about that part. Be concerned about what's going over there now, the possibility of chemical weapons, but don't worry about the nuclear war. I don't see that happening under any circumstance at this point. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me. I truly appreciate the time you give me every day, essentially, and uh, listen to what I have to say. That is a uh, quite a compliment that you give to me and I want you to know that I appreciate it. If you have questions, comments, complaints, what have you, by all means, send me an email, rationalboomer at gmail.com, or go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast, and leave me a voicemail. Always love to hear from you. So you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.